Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Jesus was in a thronging crowd. Yeah, there were many people touching Jesus. But one woman who touched him received an incredible miracle. It changed everything about her life. Why did her touch make a difference? What did she know that allowed her to receive power from Jesus? And what do you and I need to know to receive that same sort of life-changing power? Today we're going to pick up the story again. Jesus had just arrived back in town. He'd been across the Sea of Galilee doing some short, brief ministry over there, but they rejected him, and they kicked him out, and he returned back to Capernaum. He steps out of the boat, and I would like to say a line foreign, but it was way more chaotic than that. Everybody crowded around Jesus as soon as he returned. And that's when Jairus, this somebody, this important person there in town, showed up on the scene desperate for a miracle. He had tried everything else, and Jesus was his last hope. And so he comes and he begs Jesus to please come to his house because his daughter is dying. And he doesn't know where else to turn. And he's desperate for a miracle fast. We unpacked this whole story last week. If you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that message because that's where we unpack the story. But in the middle of the story, there's an interruption. There's a hijack. This no-name, nobody woman just elbows her way in, and she seems to steal the miracle that Jairus thought he might have deserved. And so today, since we looked at Jairus' part of the story last week, we're going to look at this interruption. We're going to unpack this part of the story today. So let's pick it up in Mark 5, 24. It says this, that a great crowd followed and thronged about him. We talked about it last week. We don't really know in LJ too much about what a thronging crowd next month, you know, when Apple Festival comes. So people are going to be all, they're all crowded around Jesus, pressing in. It's like trying to get in line for Space Mountain in June. You know, they're pressing in, just trying to shove their way up close to Jesus and be near this miracle worker. Jairus is like, please come to my house. Jesus is following Jairus, but that's when the interruption happens. Let's look at it now in verse 25. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had had this terrible affliction for how long? Come on, how long? 12 years. For 12 years, she had had this bleeding that wouldn't stop, this hemorrhaging that wouldn't stop. She just could not stop the bleeding, and she had tried everything. She had been to all the doctors. And it sounds like their health care plan is a lot like our health care plan. You know, you just keep paying, and you keep paying, and you keep paying. Uh, Because that's what she had done. She had just paid out everything, but no cure. She had tried all the remedies, but no cure. And she was out of money and out of hope. 
like Jairus, she was desperate for a miracle. And nobody could, it seemed like she could, nobody could help her. So here she is, she's sick, she's probably weak. It's, it's likely all she could do to, you know, get through the crowd and get to Jesus. Because she's sick, she's maybe feeble. But that's not the only problem she had. Her problem wasn't just illness. She had another condition on top of that illness that was devastating in her life. In fact, it's the first blank on your page. She wasn't just sick, she was unclean. She's not just sick, she's unclean. You know, we don't talk about this much in our society today. This woman is defiled, she is unholy. We don't think about holy very often in our society today. But holiness is the key characteristic of God, right? He's holy. Above all else that he is, he is holy. Holy means set apart. It means not like everything else. Holy, in God's context, it means righteous perfection. He, is, he has no blemish, no imperfection, no sin. He's right. He's righteous. He's holy. This is the big deal of God. You know, if I were, don't finish my sentence for me, but if I were to ask you to finish the sentence and I were to say God is blank, most of the time you would say God is love. And he is love. But you know what? Scripture describes him primarily, foremost, as holy. He's so holy, he's got creatures flying around his throne. And day after day, night after night, nonstop, they're crying out the same thing. And they're calling God one thing. What are they calling him? Holy. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they do is they fly around the throne and they cry out about God's holiness. Did you notice the repetition there? Three holies, holy, holy, holy. This is a technique in ancient languages. It's like bolding, italicizing, and underlying. You know, this is where you're saying that he's not just holy, but he's holy times holy times holy. He's exponentially holy. He's holier than anything, anyone. He is above all else holy. Scripture, did you notice? Scripture doesn't describe God as love, love, love. Doesn't describe him as mercy, mercy, mercy. He is love. He is mercy. Doesn't describe him as justice, 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 or wrath, wrath, wrath. He is justice. He has wrath against sin. But the biblical description of God is holy, holy, holy. Do you get this picture? Do you get this picture? Okay, God, above all else, is holy. And the whole nature of God's relationship with his people is that he is in the process of making his people something they are not. He's making his people holy. That's what your salvation is all about. When you surrendered your life to Christ, you became justified by the blood of Jesus. That means that he declared you holy, right? So he sees you as holy, but you own a mirror, don't you? 
When you look in the mirror, do you see holy? Uh, you better not. You really better not. Uh, when you hear the words that come out of your mouth when you're really angry, when you see the actions that you do in times of stress and strain, you and I know that while God declares us holy, that's our justification, we are still not holy. But I hope, I hope that I'm closer than I was yesterday. I hope I'm closer than I was last year. I hope I'm moving up and to the right in holiness. That's called sanctification. That's the process of what he's doing in you. The purpose of his relationship with you is to declare you holy and then transform you in and make you holy. That's the nature of his relationship with you. Is it working? Is it working? Is he making you holy? Is he making you something you aren't? That's the whole purpose of his relationship with you. That's what he's out to do in your life. That's why he said in Leviticus, in the old covenant to his people, the Jewish people, he said, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. If you're going to be my people, you need to be like me. I am holy, therefore you must be holy. I have, he says to them, set you apart from all other people to be my very own. When Jesus comes into your life, he sets you apart. He declares you holy. And he says, now I'm doing something different in you than I'm doing in the rest of the world. I'm doing something unique in you, different from what I'm doing in the rest of the world. I'm transforming you and making you more and more like me. One of the key ideas of holiness is cleanliness. It's being clean from your filth of sin, right? So the whole idea of sanctification is cleaning you up, right? This is why your grandma always said that cleanliness is next to godliness because it's biblical. I mean, it's, that's the whole idea of the Levitical law. There's a whole book about all these procedures and processes that you go through to become ceremonially clean. That means so that you can come to worship, you got to, in order to come approach God, you got to be as clean as you can possibly become. So there's things you don't eat, there's things you don't do, there's things you make sure you practice. You got to just make sure that when you come before God, you are clean. In Leviticus 10, 10, God says you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. You got you to gotta discern, you, you got to know the difference between clean and unclean, sacred and common. This is a huge deal to God. For whatever reason in the American church, we all, including me, we all have this idea that God just doesn't care about our sin anymore. But our sin is a huge affront against God. Our unrighteousness is a big problem for us before God. In the old covenant, you know, you, you had to practice that cleanliness. You know, there were certain animals that were just unclean. You didn't, you didn't touch a pig. You didn't eat an animal that scurried along the ground. They were unclean, detestable to God. We've already seen in Mark numerous times that evil spirits are called unclean spirits. It's the same idea, unclean 
unrighteous, unholy, demonic, unclean. A house that had mildew was considered unclean. And if the mildew persists, you have to move out of the house for a period of time until the priest can come and inspect it. And if the mildew continues to grow, you have to tear the whole house down and rebuild. Can you imagine that with your remodel project? Good grief. This is how serious we are to take unclean. The carcass, the dead body of any animal, is considered unclean. You don't touch it. Right? And someone with a skin disease, specifically leprosy, they had to stay away from everybody, right? And they had to, everywhere they go, what did they have to cry out? They had to cry out the word, unclean, unclean, so that nobody would get close to them because they were unclean. This is really hard for us to kind of get our head around because we're just, we're just born in this unclean world, right? I mean, everywhere you look around you, it's filthy, it's unclean, and it's getting worse. Have you noticed? It seems like everything's getting worse and worse, running harder, faster, farther from God. Everywhere you look, unclean. It seems like these days, there's more places a Christian has no business being than ever. And at the same time, it seems like these days, there's more places where Christians are. I'm not sure if I love that or hate it. Because we are, having, we are to have no business with the unclean. We have been set apart. We are to be different. We are to be holy as he is holy. It wasn't originally this way. Originally, we didn't have to be set apart because the original design, the original creation was this, of this world was to be like Ella J on a September morning, sun coming up over the mountains, and everywhere you look, you can see a glimpse of who God is, right? Beautiful, cool, crisp air, beautiful sunrise, mountains, sky, leaves just starting to change a little bit. Oh, it's beautiful. Can you imagine the original design of this world? all of it to glorify God but scripture tells us that in the garden we broke everything we ruined it all when we the authority of this world rebelled against the authority of God we rebelled against him and, and the world the scripture says that all of everything all creation fell when we rebelled and we broke it all we brought it to ruin it all began to really collapse right there in the garden, and now we're swimming in it. Now we're wet with it. Now it's everywhere all the time, and that's why those words just tumble right out of your mouth. That's why that attitude that you have persists, and you can't seem to change it. That's why your relationships are broken and don't work right. It's because we are wet with it. We're in this broken, unclean world. And this is why the wrath of God is coming. This is why judgment day approaches. It's because God's anger builds toward those who persist in their unclean state, in their sin against God. Our sin has made us and everything unclean, and it's put us under the judgment of God. It's all bad news in this world. And it's not just that our unclean breaks our relationship with God it also does something to everyone around us. 
So this woman, this woman, we see it in this woman, she had this blood discharge that was going on for how long? Come on, how long? 12 years. And believe it or not, Leviticus, this ancient book, ancient even to her, speaks specifically to her condition. And in Leviticus 15, it says this, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. She's unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you'll be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. You see, here's the, here's the thing about our unclean. It's the next blank on your page. For humans, unclean is contagious. For humans, biblically, unclean is contagious. This is the regulation we see about women having this discharge of blood. But there's an almost identical regulation for men having a discharge of blood. Almost exactly the same thing. And there's a thousand, it seems, other regulations against people having unclean in them. You can't touch them. Don't get near them. Because if you get too close, if you get in proximity and you touch the unclean, the unclean spreads to you. It's worse than COVID. You get it like that. Unclean is contagious. So if you have it, you spread it. If you had it, it's powerful to infect everyone around you. That's why the lepers had to walk around calling out the word unclean. For humans, unclean is contagious. You see this in your own life, right? When you see this in your own life, the effects of your sin affect everyone around you in one way or the other. You and I, we don't want to, but we, we break relationships. And it hurts other people like it hurts us. We break hearts, and it breaks other people. We break promises, and it hurts other people. We break everything, it seems like. Heck, I even break my diet. I can't even, I can't even keep consistent on that. I break everything because I'm unclean. I'm broken. That's what I do. Whatever I touch seems to break because I'm unclean. But this woman... Mark 5, 27, she heard the reports about Jesus. And what did she do? She comes up in the crowd, and she reaches out her hand, and she does what? Touches his garment. See that right there? She touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now, hold on a minute. What is she thinking here? Because everything in the law, everything in the tradition, everything in the way she was raised should have told her to do the opposite. What she should have been thinking is, you shouldn't be in the crowd in the first place. You have no business being around other people and contaminating them with your unclean. You're contaminating everybody. But what's worse 
is if you touch the rabbi, if you touch the one who's doing the miracles, his clean becomes unclean. That's why the rabbi doesn't come to the house of this woman to pray over her because she's unclean. He doesn't go there. And Jesus is maybe the best known rabbi in the moment. Why is she there? Why is she going to touch him? Because she's going to contaminate the power of her unclean. Traditionally, legally, religiously, the power of her unclean will contaminate him and all of his miracles will stop because he will no longer be clean. What is she thinking? She should know this well because she's been dealing with this for how long? 12 years. For 12 years, this has separated her from her community. She hasn't been able to worship in the synagogue for 12 years. She hasn't been able to be among her family and friends for 12 years. For 12 years, she's had to seclude herself and isolate herself away from everyone and everything she knows for 12 long years. She should know better by now. What could she possibly be thinking? Didn't she know what was at stake here? Didn't she know how she could ruin the ministry of Jesus by reaching out and touching his garment? Doesn't she know she could end the ministry of Jesus by touching his garment? But look what happens in verse 29. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Man, the instant she touches his garment, she is healed. She experiences a full healing right then and right there. It's miraculous. It's amazing. And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned around in the crowd and he says, who touched my garments? She didn't even touch him. She touched his garment and Jesus knew. Jesus knew something happened. And his disciples said to him, uh, hello? <laughs> you see the crowd pressing all around you and you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. Something was different about this touch. He was being touched. He was probably being knocked around by dozens, hundreds of other people. I mean, he was being touched on all sides all the time as they're trying to work their way through the crowd. He's being touched by disciples. He's being touched by every neighbor, every friend, people from out of town. He's being touched by everybody. But this touch was different. Something happened. Next blank on your page, here's what happened. For Jesus, holy is contagious. For humans, unclean is contagious. But for Jesus, holy is contagious. In this case, the power of clean overpowered the unclean. The power went in the opposite direction from everything anybody had ever been taught about this and Jesus knew it he knew that this touch was unique that somehow there was something different about this woman's touch of his garments and power went from him into her isn't that what Jesus is doing in your life isn't he giving you full access to his power in the Holy Spirit and isn't he transforming you 
aren't you in the process, the lifelong process of moving from unclean to clean? Aren't you becoming more and more like him? Can't you look back on your life and say, man, I remember how I used to be. I remember what my mouth was like. I remember what my attitude was like. I remember how bad off I was. But look at me now. I'm different today because I've been touched by the master. I've been touched by Jesus. And I'm being made clean. That's the ministry that Jesus has in your life today. That sanctification ministry. He can do that because he went to the cross and he paid for your sin he killed it off at the cross, took it to the grave, and three days later, he rose again so that he can sanctify you, changing you more and more and more into his image. Romans tells us that he's transforming us, making, more like, making us more like himself by changing the way that we, what? Think. He's changing your mind. He's changing your thought patterns. He's changing everything about you. Right? This is what he does. How's that working in your life? Can you see that change? In the old covenant, the people had occupied the land. They came into the land and you know God blessed them. They moved into all of the whole holy land, the land he had set aside for them way back from whenever. They promised Abraham all those many, many, many years earlier. And he kept promising over and over and over again. And finally, Moses led them up to the border. Joshua led them in. And finally, they occupied the Holy Land. They had achieved, they had received the promise of God. But before you can turn around, what happened? They start walking away. They start drifting. They're occupying the land, but they get comfortable. And they start worshiping the pagan gods. Right, They start walking on paths that God doesn't go down. And God begins to beg. He sends prophets to them. And he's like, come back, come back. Over and over again, you see God saying to the prophets, come back, just come back. Come back to me. I'm right here. I love you. You're my people. And if you'll just come, if you'll just come back, I'll forgive you. I'll take you in. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And we'll have this. Just come back. I don't go where you're going. And if you keep going that way, you're running into the arms of the Baals, into the arms of the pagan gods. And what do they want to do with you? They want to destroy you. Judgment is coming. Come back. But time and time again, prophet after prophet, the people's hearts were hard against God. Rock hard and they persisted they kept going the wrong way and sure enough history tells us the judgment happened the babylonians came and invaded the holy land decimated everything and deported so many of the hebrew people to babylon where they lived in captivity like they had been in egypt but even through all those Prophecies, even through God begging them to come back and telling them what was going to happen if they didn't, he also made promises about one day, one day, one day, it's all going to be right. One day, I will restore this relationship, even if you won't. And he says in Ezekiel 36, he says, then on that day, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you, unclean, will be clean. 
your filth will be washed away and you'll no longer worship idols and I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you I'll take out your old stony stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart this is what he does now in Jesus is he removes our stony stubborn heart and he replaces it with a heart that is responsive to him tender to him how's that working for you is your heart inclined to him how do you respond to him when he calls you when he calls you and he says hey I want you to stop what you're doing and I want you to go share your faith with this person I've set up this appointment I'm here I'm going to empower you share your faith right now how does that work in your life do you hear his voice and respond or is your heart hard how is it when, you, when God asks you, hey, I want you to serve, I want you to serve. You know, we've got a ton of kids uh, that we have in our children's ministry, and man, uh, I just want to love on them, and I'm going to love on them through you. So I want you to go get your arms around those kids, and I want you just to preach the gospel to them and love them because they just need to see an adult. They need to see an adult male who loves Jesus because they don't have a lot of examples of that. Would you go and do that? How do you respond? Amen, my heart's inclined. Or, mm, I just need my church service time. You know, David Lynn, David Lynn has a little prayer group, a little meeting of people. He's just invited some guys to at 745 on Sunday mornings to pray for us, to pray that God would do what he does in here. And he's just invited them. Hey, just come, just come, just come and pray. How do you respond to that? Is your heart hard? Or do you have a tender, responsive heart and are you willing to go where he calls you in 1 Corinthians Paul says you were cleansed you were made holy you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God you were made holy washed clean by the blood of Christ that's why John says if we're living in the light as God is in the light then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Man, if that's you, I hope you'll be responsive to him. That when he moves, dude, you jump. You know, you, you run to respond to any call that he has. And you can't wait to tell anybody about it, man. Lead your family to Christ. Lead your friends to Christ. Lead your three to Christ. My hope is that I, now that I got grandkids, that when they look at me, they're seeing Jesus. When they look back one day, long after I'm gone, they say, that guy is the reason that I have a relationship with Christ today. That's what I want. I want to be that person who is just used by God because I'm available, clean, and inclined to Him. Is that the way you want to be? Because it sure is quiet in this room. There was something different about this woman. In fact, in verse 33, it says this woman, knowing what had happened to her, as Jesus is looking around trying to figure out who did this, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth she told Jesus the whole truth I wonder what that conversation was like what do you think she told him I read one commentator this week who said you know uh, probably she told him she unpacked the superstition that she had 
that, you know, if you get close to a medicine man or a holy man, if you just get close to him, if, you just, if you're just in his shadow or if his dust from when he's walking, you know, touches you, then you might be healed. That, and there's probably a superstition in her, something like this. Um, I don't really think that's the case because I don't see a lot of places where Jesus honors pagan superstition. He doesn't like that, doesn't deal with that. Whatever she told him, he was happy with, right? Because in verse 34, he said to her daughter, your faith, not your superstition, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. This ought to be a hint for us, a, a clue to us that something's different about this woman. We don't know exactly what it is, but there's something different about her. Jesus is touched by dozens of people at any given moment, but this one is different. There's something faithful about her touch, something so deeply faithful that it caused power to go from Jesus into her and to heal her. What does she Believe What does she know that nobody else around knew? What's different about this lady? Mark doesn't tell us, but I believe Matthew and Luke give us a tiny, tiny glimpse of a hint into what she may have been thinking because Matthew and Luke both say it the same way but a little bit different from the way Mark says it. Here's the way Matthew says the same thing, the same story. He says, Behold, uh, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up and Mark says touched his garment but Matthew says that she touched the what? The fringe of of his garment, the fringe of his garment. This is different than just touching his garment. She touched the fringe of his garment. So I want to kind of, I got to kind of illustrate what I'm thinking. So uh, I need some help with the illustration. So how about Uriah Doss? Why don't you come up here? You're on the back row. Why don't you, yeah, come on up here and just give me a hand. Everybody say thank you to Uriah for coming up here. Just come right on up here with me, buddy. Yeah. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. I have never seen a barber's dream uh, walk in. Yeah, you're looking good. You doing okay? Uh, you're going to help me with this illustration, all right? I got something for you here. So um, this summer, I went to Israel. And while I was there, I, I got this. Um, we would call it a, a prayer shawl, okay? And uh, I got one for me, and I got one for you. So uh, this prayer shawl is what uh, traditionally... Uh, the Jewish people will wear when they are practicing their righteousness. I'm putting it on your shoulders, okay? All right, so you're just going to stand right here with me. See, it's got this little part here that you put on your shoulders, and there you go. Now, I got one for me, too, so that we can both have one. This is not exactly the fashion statement of, uh, of our culture today. But really, really important in Jewish culture, all right? So come on over here and stand beside me. So um, what do you notice right away about this prayer shawl? It's colorful and it out. All right, it's colorful and it stands out. Yeah, you're, you're kind of showing your holiness with this prayer shawl. That's a very good observation. Other thing I want you to see is I want you to look down here on the corners. On each of the four corners, there's these little tassels. You see those? So these tassels are commanded in Leviticus. This is a God-ordained 
tassel. <laughs> uh, so there's actually a Levitical command that on the four corners of your garments, you will wear this tassel. It's called a tzitzi. It starts with a T, tzitzi. Can you say tzitzi? Good, good, good job. It's a tzitzi. So uh, the tassel is made with one blue cord. Do you see the blue cord? There's eight cords all together. One of them is blue, and it's tied in five knots with the blue cord running between the knots. Each of the five knots represents uh, one of the, uh, uh, sorry, one of the books of the Torah. So the five books of the Torah, and the numerical value for the word tzitzi in Hebrew, they were big into numerology way back in the day, numerical value is 600. There's eight cords, five knots, for a total of 613 representing the the law, the commands of God to his people. So God tells them to wear these garments with the tzitzit so that they are surrounded in their relationship with God through his word, through his law. Does that make sense? That's good. So when they would go to pray, we went to the wailing wall and we would see them pray. Uh, they, would, they would hold the, they would hold the uh, garment, the prayer shawl, in their thumbs like this. Can you, can you hold like that? And... As they approached the wall, they would hold up their arms. Hold up. Can you see why they would call these wings? Why would they call them wings? They look like wings, right? They're wings, right? And so uh, they, they would pray like this, and when, when they would approach the wall, now they, they don't do this part anymore, uh, and they don't use the blue cord anymore, even though it's in Leviticus to use it. I don't know why they don't use it anymore. But they would pray like this. They would cover their heads like this. Actually, what they would do first is they would cover their heads this way. Why don't you... Can we cover that? Is it okay to cover that? <laughs> Can you do that? So you'd cover it like this, and then you would hold, hold it in your thumbs, and you would cover with your wings like this. And you know what, you know what they called this? Does anybody know what they called this? They called this, you know what they called it? They called this your prayer closet. That's what they called it. So when you go into your prayer closet, you're not going into that musty room with your shoes, your old shoes and clothes. You're going into your prayer shawl, into your wings. You're covered in his wings. Isn't that cool? So, uh, so what would happen is holy people, rabbis, uh, would wear these all the time. They would wear these around men. The men would wear them. And so uh, Jesus would have been wearing one of these prayer shawls. And when she comes up, uh, she touches, what does she touch? Yeah. The tassel is also called the fringe. And so this is the representation of God's relationship through his law with his people. This is a, an image, a, a practical image of God's grace that he gives to his people. But it goes even deeper than that. Uh, there is a promise in Ezekiel that says this um, sorry in uh, Malachi I said Ezekiel but I meant Malachi where God says this the Lord of heaven's army says that a day of judgment is coming burning like a furnace on that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw they will be consumed roots branches and all so God's judgment is is coming for those that are unclean, right? Right? We got that so far? But here's what he says next. This ought to knock your socks off. It says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. 
and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Now, I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps right now. Literally got goosebumps right now because I believe this woman touched his wings because she knew this promise. She so knew her word of God. She so knew her Bible that she was able to access the power of God by putting into practice the promise of God. Isn't that cool? Okay, Uriah, give Uriah a hand. Thank you very much. You take this little thing and you just keep that, okay? All right, wear it to school tomorrow. You gonna wear it to school tomorrow? No? Yeah, okay. Next blank on your page, her faith was deep because she knew the word. The reason that the touch from this woman was different from every other touch that Jesus had in that time was because she knew the word of God. She was able to appropriate this promise and instantly she was healed. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you, believer, what are you missing out on because you don't know the promises of God? What are you missing out on because you don't know the word of God? What could God want to do in your life? What blessings does he want to pour into you if you will only touch the hem of his robe, if you will only lay claim to the promises that he has for you in his word? Right? I, that's why I'm so big on you knowing the word of God. That's why I do my No God Crash Course on Sunday nights. We're taking tonight off because of the night of worship tonight. But dude, this class is all about you digging deep into the word and learning who God is. That's why Susan is doing her Making Sense of the Bible class on Tuesdays is so that you can dig into the word and know what he says to you. Because knowing the word gives you the ability to access his promises and his power in your life. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. That's why Hebrews says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Right? It's the word of God that gives you access to the promises and the power of God. In Romans, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, last blank on your page. The more you know, the more your faith grows. The more you know, the deeper you will walk. The more you know, the more of the promises you will appropriate in your life. The more you know, the more he will speak and minister into you, and the more he will change you and make you more and more in his image. Know him. Immerse yourself in his word. Man, turn off the Netflix for an hour. Turn off Fox News, please, for an hour. And just immerse yourself in the word and see what he wouldn't just do in your life. Amen. Amen.